Let's look at the word. Let's look at the scripture. We're in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 40. And if you look in your bulletin, I know there's a bunch of papers in there. Um, please bear with us. Um, there is one note sheet that has three holes punched in the left side. That's our notes for today. This is, this is how we kind of um, help you to follow along. And we've been talking in our core group um, amidst a lot of planning and preparations and developing everything. Um, we've also been doing a Bible study through Acts. And we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 8, which I think is a very appropriate chapter. The title of today's talk is Two Ways to Meet God. Now, we don't do this so that we can put on a nice show and have these funky pur purple lights and these, you know. Um, we do this because we want people to meet God. Um, Houston is growing at an incredible rate. And there are a lot of churches in this city, but having said that, there are also a lot of people who have not still had an encounter with God or they have had an encounter and they're still kind of figuring it out. Woven wants to be the place to guide you in meeting God. And so we're going to look at two people, two people that encounter God. The first is a guy named Simon, Simon the Magician, and second is the Ethiopian eunuch. Simon the Magician and the Ethiopian eunuch. And for both of these people who have an encounter with God, for both of these people, I want to talk about the circumstances surrounding their lives. You see that in red? Secondly, I want to talk about the crises that surround their lives. And third, I want to talk about the result. So for, this, for the Simon the Magician and the Ethiopian eunuch, for both of them, I'm going to talk about the circumstances of their lives, the crisis of their lives, and the result. Why don't we begin in Acts chapter 8. Chapter 8, and we'll tell them. Gathered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was being said by Philip. As they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, even Simon was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. 
Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Ooh, give this authority to me well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may also receive this Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours. And pray the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. When I was in high school, um, there were a group of kids um, nerds really and these kids were really into magic um, not necessarily like you know uh, the occult or anything but they were really into magic tricks and they were always um, coming to, to, to school with um, trick deck cards where they could do these kind of sleight of hand things they were really into David Blaine you all remember David Blaine um, and he did this levitation thing which is just an optical illusion and they were always giving each other attention you could see like these crowds always surrounding one kid who was doing something with his hands and they were giving him attention and staring. And alternatively, they were outdoing each other. They were impressing one another. You have something like that going on in this passage. That's the circumstance. And we begin with the circumstances of Simon the magician's life. It says he was a magician. It doesn't say whether he was a trick magician or if he was really in the occult. But this was somebody that was used to gaining attention. It says that in verses 10 and 11. They were giving him attention constantly. This is somebody that was used to having a lot of people watching his hands closely to see what tricks he was doing. The word there in the Greek, when this was written originally, it talks about being mentally fixated. The people were fixated and watching. But here's the thing. You've got Simon doing his thing, but all of a sudden a rival, quote-unquote, magician comes to town. His name is Philip. So you've got another nerd that walks into the circle, and he busts out, and he says, check this out. It's like a rap battle. And he does this thing, and everybody's staring, and all of a sudden Simon loses his crowds to this guy named Philip. And as they watch Philip, even Simon says, dang, that was pretty good. How do you do that? So Philip walks over, and all of a sudden he finds himself wrapped up, becoming a groupie, one of, one of Philip's admirers. And as he watches, he's like, wow, how did he do that? He finds himself outdone, outdone, deeply impressed, probably slightly envious, and wondering, where can I get that magic trick? Where can I buy that? You know, for those nerds, <laughs> uh, for those kids... They were, they were buying this stuff from somewhere. I don't know where. Um, Ripley's Believe It or Not or, you know, these kind of Hobby Lobby. These, these, they were buying that. And all of a sudden, you have Simon asking, where can I buy that? Peter and John, Philip, how do you guys do this so that I can acquire this as well? So that I can acquire what you are doing, these powerful things. I want to acquire it. And the thing is, this is where I want to kind of, you know, you've got a couple of applications in your notes. The thing is, 
when it comes to religion, we just can't acquire it. We want to, in many ways, add it on top of our already busy lives, especially here in the suburbs. Not all of you are suburban, but for those of you that can identify, oh man, I've got, I've got, we've got swim meet, we've got PTA, I'm volunteering for this thing, we have to make this school project, we've got tennis practice, we've got this, and all of these things, for goodness sakes, now the pastor is saying, I have to add on even more to my life. I have to add on Sunday church. And the thing is, when we see it that way, some things in life just can't be added. It says that in our notes. You just, we, the thing about faith is if we see it as an addition, another trick to add to our repertoire, another trick to add to our existing bag of tricks, that somehow I can extracurricular myself, add more, do more, you're going to burn out. Faith was not meant, and listen carefully to this, please, because for those of us with busy lives, faith was not meant to just be yet another thing. Now believe me, I want you to join this church if you don't have a place of worship. But I also want you to understand that what you're going to find here at Woven might not just be another extracurricular thing. You might find that it presses something. You might find that it discomforts something. You might find that I come to this church. Somebody was sharing with me recently. Every time I come to this church, I, it, some, for some reason I start crying. Because something's happening. And I realize it's not just another addition to my life. I'm realizing... I'm realizing, and this is the crisis, this is the second thing, the crisis of Simon's life is that he was in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. Can you just hear those words? The gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. Those are highfalutin sounding words. Let's translate it for you today. Do you come to church with issues? Do you come to church with burdens? Do you come to church like damaged goods, right? The outside looks all polished. Everything looks good. But in the contents are rattled up. Do you know what I mean? The funny thing is we thought we'd come to church and add yet another activity on top of our lives. And then we discover that faith is not just another activity or another add-on. It actually says, let's get inside the box. Let's untangle the mess. Let's see if we can deal with the gall and the bitterness. And what does Simon do? <sharp inhale> Poker face. Nope, I'm fine. No, my issues, I like to coddle my issues. I like my resentments. I like nursing them. My hang-ups, my hurts, my habits, I'd rather keep those. Why does religion have to come in and invade my personal life and space. Can't I just buy what you can do? Get up in the front and say all these nice things and lay hands and make people... Why can't I just acquire that? But religion, is, it's, it's, not just, it's not just about an add-on. Faith, and that's the fill in the blank, faith is more than an add-on to life. Faith is more than an add-on to life. It confronts us... It looks inside the perfect veneer and says, where is the crisis? Where is the gall? Where is the bondage? And how can we help you? Where can the gospel penetrate in? I want this church to grow. Of course I do. But I also know 
that the church will also grow in numbers. It will also grow in depth. That's my prayer, that we don't just pack the seats out, but that we also are having transformation occur in our lives. Did the transformation occur in Simon's life? We don't know. The result, so we talked about the circumstances of this magician's life. We talked about the crisis, the gall, the bitterness. And then we talk about the result. We don't know the result for sure. But what we read here on that last note, that last verse, it ends on slightly dubious terms. You don't get the sense that the transformation has occurred, nor do you get the sense that he's open to it. History says, and even this we're not sure because we're not sure if it's the same Simon they're talking about. One old guy, Justin Martyr, would talk in history and say, Simon, yes, I was a Samaritan too. Simon the Samaritan actually would go to Rome. And in Rome, he would have a statue built up to himself saying, I am God. Issues, issues, somebody doesn't get it yet. Irenaeus was another ancient guy. And he said Simon would go on to found a cult, a heretical cult, a Gnostic heresy. All to say that this is not really a good report. It's not good results. And what we see from Simon's life is it, it didn't click. And so I turn it over to you, friends, new friends, newly beloved. What are the circumstances that you find yourself here today? Under what circumstances have you come here? What happened last night? What, stayed, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happened a week? What's, what are the circumstances that you just so happened to come through the doors of this school today at Woven Covenant Church for you to hear the gospel this morning? Are you in the turmoil? Are you in the crisis of heart, the gall, nursing something, stuck on something, hung up on something? Are you hurting? Is there a presenting crisis in your life? And I bet you every single one of you will nod yes. What will be the result? What's the next thing? Do we want to add yet more on top of our lives? Or will we open up ourselves and say, I'm ready. God, as you speak your word, I think you're going to do something. Let's go a little deeper than just adding it on, on top of life. I'll pause there. Sometimes I say too many words. I'll pause for 20 seconds and just let you think about what that means for you. You know, I actually feel this urging right now just to pray. 
I mean, before I get to the second heading, could you just pray with me? Just close your eyes. God, there are some of us here that come from circumstances that are blindingly difficult. There are some of, here, some of us here that come from circumstances where maybe we've been working on the veneer of our lives, the shiny box, but inside all the goods are kind of rattled and damaged. There are some of us here that are beginning to see things come untangled and we're ready for more. Some of you here with a crisis in your life, maybe major, maybe not. And Lord, I commit all of these people, these dear people to you, praying that their encounter would be more like that of the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, and less as much like Simon the magician. We're praying for a good result today. We're praying for the seed to fall on fertile soil and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't do that often, but um, I definitely felt a prompting at this morning. I just wanted to pray. Let's see how things turn out for the Ethiopian eunuch, the second character. So we talked about the circumstances, the crisis, and the result of Simon's life. And we see that things kind of didn't click for him. He wanted to add faith on top of an existing bag of tricks. But the Ethiopian eunuch is a different story and a very interesting story. So let's read Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate the generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Now what a The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me. Listen to the earnestness in his voice. To whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip said, Well, funny thing you asked. He opened his mouth. And beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. 
But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. What are the circumstances of this man's life? Think for a moment. What do you think those circumstances are? There is one circumstance that I want to highlight that is an important part of his identity. This is definitely a black man. I say that because Ethiopia today is not the same as Ethiopia back then. Ethiopia back then was closer to Egypt. It was the southern Old Testament kingdom of Cush. Nonetheless, it was an African nation. And so we know for sure, without a doubt, this was a black man. Now this is very interesting. Previously before this, Philip goes to Samaria. There was a persecution in the previous chapter. Something happened, um, something happened in the center of Christianity, Jerusalem, that led to a persecution so that people began going outward. Kind of like if you took a pebble and you tossed it, you see that circle right there, with the, the basketball circle right there, just... You see rippling, emanating waves going further and further out. The gospel begins to go outward. And the gospel begins to get preached. Jesus gets talked about all of a sudden no longer amongst just Jews, but for crying out loud, those people on the other side of the tracks. The Samaritans. It goes from the Samaritans even further to the Ethiopians, all to say, all to say that you have the beginnings of a truly outward-looking Christianity. The beginnings of a truly outward-looking Christianity. Now, I'm going to say something here. I hope I don't offend you, but I, I think I can speak with some experience having lived in many different parts of the, not many, but at least two other major cities in this country. But in my observation, I love Houston. It is my home. My roots are here. But one thing I noticed right away when I moved is that Houston is one of the more segregated cities on Sunday. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but from my observation, I have seen that the Koreans worship with the Koreans, the Chinese worship with the Chinese, the African Americans with the African Americans, the Anglos with the Anglos, the Hispanics with the Hispanics. Well, in one sense, isn't that fine? Isn't it good enough for people to be worshiping Jesus? Isn't that all we need? The answer to that is yes and no. I can't speak authoritatively, but I can speak to my own experience as an ethnic American that grew up in one ethnic context. Yes, your faith will grow when you worship with your own kind. But it gets to a point, it gets to a point where it almost, how can I say this lightly, it almost becomes like inbreeding. It almost becomes like we're drinking the same water. And our faith, which is meant to be tested and meant to be kind of exposed to broader and bigger things, you know what happens when you grow up in one ethnic context? You have somebody different that comes in. When that different person comes in, because there's so many of you that are homogenous, what do you recognize in that person? The differences. That person is different because of this. What happens, however, when you have a multi-ethnic, when you have many cultures coming together that are all different to begin with, instead of recognizing the differences in that one person, we start recognizing the similarities. 
We start reaching for, instead of, she's different. We start reaching for, this is how we're alike. Because we're crying out loud, we're all different to begin with. That is so good and stretching for our faith, I believe. And God bless Texas. God bless Houston. God bless Katy. There are a lot of churches here thriving. But at the same time, for us to be a church like Philip that is outward looking, going further and further out, that's going to the Samaritans and then the Ethiopians and discovering faith in a new way, that's awesome. To discover faith in a new way, this is key. And for us, um, you know, I, I, it goes without saying, but woven, you can see it in our values. You can see it, you know, in who we are. You can see it in the bulletin. We, we, we really take this seriously. Having come out from an already kind of homogenous context to saying the gospel needs to be rubbed up against with difference so that we can discover unity. And, you know, I, I, I can't talk much more about that. All I can say is, Woven, we're not going to be the perfect or everything, end-all, say-all church. We're not going to be the one-stop shopping mart for everything here in Katy or in the suburbs of Houston. But if there is one thing that we do need to be, is outward-looking, emanating outwards. And that's who, that's who we're striving to be today. So the first circumstance is that this is definitely a black man. And for the first time, the gospel going to somebody very, very different from your kind of run-of-the-mill Hebrews. Second distinction that I find really interesting, second circumstance, is you see Philip constantly running up. Like, the, the words that are used there, he's running up, running up to this man. He's running up, and you have this guy that's in a chariot, elevated on a horse like Django. Now, I recently watched that movie again on Netflix. It was on Netflix Instant, and I decided to watch it. It's very violent, um, very disturbing, but scathing social commentary. And it's a story about um, uh, a former slave turned freedman, and played by Jamie Foxx. He plays his character named Django. The D is silent. <laughs> I just had to say that. The D is silent, Django, and he's on a horse. Christoph Waltz is, is brilliant. I, I think he's one of my favorite actors who plays kind of this mentor to him who doesn't lord it over him, but in, a sa- in this kind of side-by-side, kind of side, he treats him like a, like a, like a partner. It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, Christoph Waltz. Anyway, the point is he gives him a horse, and you have, for the first time, a black man elevated on a horse walking through the Civil War period um, in small shanty towns in Texas, and you have these people slack-jawed like, I ain't never seen a black man on a horse. Now, mind you, um, the Ethiopian, you know, first century A.D. context is very different from Civil War slavery. It's not the same thing, but nonetheless, the point is, you've got somebody who is influential. You have an influential man. He happens to be Ethiopian. Influential. And you see Philip running up to him and coming up into the chariot. Up into the chariot. This is beautiful. Because some of you don't have many crises in your life today. Actually, pastor, I'm not that bad. I'm okay. 
you know, I hear about those guys who say, I hit rock bottom and I had the shovel and I was still digging deeper. And then the gospel light shone on me and I saw it and I became a Christian and my life changed. Some of you are like, I don't have that. I'm sitting in my chariot, in my executive suite, and everything seems to be okay, and yet I'm still searching for something. Please tell me. The application is sometimes the gospel is going to go down to you, and you're going to hear about those stories. But sometimes the gospel is going to come up into your executive suite, climb next to you in the chariot, sit down next to you, and have a conversation. And for those of you, and I know you're out there, that are in places of influence, The gospel wants to climb up and sit next to you and speak to you today. It wants to say, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know? Do you know? I mean, if we can can look at this verse, it says, do you understand what you are reading? In other words, do you understand what God is saying to you? Do you understand how God is speaking to you today through Scripture, through circumstance, through your life? Actually, pastor, I don't. I need a guide. Life couldn't get better. And yet, why is it that I am so miserable up here in my chariot? I need a guide to understand what God is saying to me. Another circumstance before we get into the crisis, is just real quick, and it gets really interesting here. And I can't help but to teach a little. Hang with me. It gets interesting. Do you think that the eunuch is going to Jerusalem to worship, or he just got done and he's on his way back? I had to read this a couple of times, and I finally realized he's on his way home. Philip is not catching him on the way to Jerusalem. He's catching him on his way back. So this is somebody that's gone through some kind of a religious experience. It says in verse 27, he went to Jerusalem to worship. What you have is a non-Jewish worshiper of Yahweh. A non-Jewish worshiper of Yahweh. And he arrives at IAH and he comes out of the terminal ready to worship God, ready to worship Yahweh. He arrives at the hotel where the convention and the religious convention is being held. And he checks in and he registered and he's ready to go. And he put all the stuff into the, into the hotel room and he goes down, goes down to the ballroom where the main conference, where all the teachings are being held and he comes to the door and they say, sorry, we can't let you in. Whoa, wait, why? Well, obviously, for the color of your skin, one. You're not Jewish. So you can't come in. And also, he doesn't make it past into the conference, into the ballroom, because number two, and this is definitely going to bar him, he's a eunuch. A eunuch is somebody, need I explain it? If, if you don't know what a eunuch is, then, you know, ask, ask me later. Um, but all to say, this is somebody that quite literally has damaged goods. You know, they, they, they did this in order that the men could work in high, in, in high positions. All to say, all to say that, Somebody, it says in the Old Testament, a man with, with, with crushed, uh, you know what, cannot enter the assembly of God. That's what I'm trying to say. 
So you have two reasons why this man cannot enter in. Number one, the color of his skin. Number two, physical defect. And for these reasons, I mean, imagine the deflatedness he experienced that having gone all the way, all the way to Jerusalem to worship and getting stuck and spending the whole time outside of the ballroom in the overflow room watching everything on the screen. Calling home, hey honey, how's the conference? You sound down. Oh, it, it's, no, it's fine. It's, they're not letting you in? Well, I mean, eunuchs were not married, but all to say that maybe he tried to keep his chin up. He's on his way home. And on the, before he left the conference, he went over to the book table and he found a nice Greek leather-bound Old Testament. And he says, I love this. You know, he holds it to his chest. When I was a student, and I, I rec- these days Bibles are so ubiquitous that you just find it, you're like, great. Um, when I was, as a student, first received my Greek New Testament, I, I literally, I think I cried. Like, it was just a very touching moment. So for him, he receives his Greek Old Testament. And then he remembers on the way home, as he's in his chariot, oh yeah, the rabbis, I heard it in the overflow room on the screen. They were saying, when you read the Torah, hold it with two hands, rock back and forth, and recite it out loud. That's how a good religious person should read, not under your breath. They taught that way, and so that's what he does. And Philip hears him reading. Philip hears him reading out loud and, of course, can't resist like any good expositor. Do you understand what you are reading? This is where the guide comes in. This is where the guide comes in. Do you understand what God is saying to you today? Do you understand? And this is the crisis. For all those years, for somebody that was seeking God, his crisis is this. How could I unless someone guides me? I haven't had a guide for all these years. And I've been wanting to know my crisis is because of the color of my skin and the state of my physical being, I can't get closer to God. I'm so close. I got close this time, man. I was right there in the Holy of Holies. And I got barred from further entrance because of these things. So who is going to guide me? I need a guide. That's the crisis. Maybe some of you have come here today having looked for a guide for a long time. Maybe you'll find it here. That's the fill in the blank. If faith is more than an add-on to life, then what we need is a guide. And not just that, not just a guide to teach you the scriptures, yes, that, but also a spiritual guide that can work through, what did I say before, the junk on the inside of the box. A guide that can help us work through the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. Maybe Simon needed a guide too, somebody that was patient enough to walk with this guy. Even pastors need guides. I have a guide. It's a 73-year-old sister. Quite literally a sister. She's not my sister. She's not like a sister. This is, this is, this is a nun. A 73-year-old nun. And I meet with her. And that's 
all she does. Do you understand what God is saying to you? Do you understand what you are reading? She doesn't direct me. She doesn't tell me. I mean, it's a misnomer. It's called spiritual direction. This, but it's more spiritual guiding is what it is. Spiritual guiding. And she doesn't say, well, you need to get your act together. You need to work on that. that that's your junk. Untangle it and see me next month and we'll see how you did. She doesn't do that. We're not going to do that. I, I hope not. Instead, what she says is, how's that working out for you? Sometimes I just want to see if I can provoke her and scare her. You know, like, just tell her, you know, I, I went on a, you know, I robbed a bank, Sister Ann. See what she says. She'll probably say, great. How's that working out for you? <laughs> What's God saying to you in that? This non-judgmental thing where it's just like, all right, if that's what God's doing, that's what God's doing. I trust and respect that. Even if I rob a bank. This kind of listening and guiding, you know, I hope, I hope that you can find Woven to be that place for you. Not to say, oh my gosh, look what's inside his box. But more, to, more almost unintim- unscared unafraid and say, yeah, yeah, we've all got issues. Yeah, how's that working out for you? Yeah, how can we help you? How can we help each other? How can this be a place of spiritual guidance? How can this be a place where we are actively asked the question, do you understand what God is saying to you? Do you understand? Do you understand what you're reading? After all, the word of God is God's voice spoken to you. finish off with the result. How did things turn off for the Ethiopian? Circumstances in his life, we talked about that, the crisis of his life, um, not having a guide. Now he found a guide for a brief period. How did things turn out? We don't know, honestly. History says almost nil about the Ethiopian eunuch. There are very few extra-biblical sources, and even those, we're not sure. The point is, The point is, we don't know, but when we read this passage, you can see his heart. And we can see, contrasted with Simon, that this is somebody whose heart, open to the guiding, ready, eager. And I close with this. Simon or eunuch, which one are you today? Simon or eunuch? gall of bitterness or needing a guide. I can't miss this opportunity. I'm growing as an evangelist and I, I have to I have to invite us at this time if we could just close our eyes and say a prayer. I don't know all of you. I don't know if you've had this opportunity but can I climb up in the chariot with you today? Can I cozy on up with you in that executive suite of your high and mighty? If you feel like you're ready, 
that you don't want just an addition to your life, religion, but instead what you need is God to come in and to begin work on the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. In other words, if you are at a place now where you would like to make commitment to follow Jesus, or if you would like to um, receive Him as your Savior and Lord today, or both, then I'd like you to pray with me silently at this moment. I'll pray and pause, and in your heart, you can repeat after me. Lord, I believe in you. Imperfectly, but I am trying to believe in you. From this moment, I want to follow you. From this moment, I'll do my best to make a commitment to follow you. And from this moment, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Come into my life. Touch the deepest places. and grant me continued guidance. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Lord, at this time, we pray also for those struggling in other areas, or if not struggling, or they come here with praises on their lips, that's great. We pray for all, that wherever we are in our lives, circumstances, crisis, result, we pray, draw us closer, and may you continually guide us, give us guides, and also work inside in those deepest places, repairing and healing the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity.